Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. Good to be in the house of God. Amen. Why don't you stand one more time and just get out of your seat and give someone a, a COVID welcome this morning. If you see a face you don't recognize... Give them your name. Tell them it's good to see you in the house of God this morning. Amen. Amen. When you do that, you can, you can find your seat. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God this Sunday morning. Amen. How's the, uh, how's the fast going? Amen. I hope that it has been rewarding, spiritually rewarding this week. Um, if, if you are joining us on our fast, if you're not joining us on our fast, you can, you can always pick up anytime, okay? You don't have to wait till next year. You can start tomorrow, all right? If, if you haven't been uh, joining us, maybe, maybe you just forgot, maybe just life just got busy, um, but you can say a prayer tonight and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to this and, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to see it through. Amen. And so you can do that. And if you don't, maybe you don't know like the details of fast, maybe you've never fasted before. Um, we have some information outside, um, that you can pick up a little flyer or, um, you can go to our website, mynumachurch.org slash 21. And, uh, you can, you can see, you can get some information there. People do, uh, fasting a little bit differently, right? Um, some, some people, there's no right or wrong method of fasting, right? Some people, you know, they, they do a a few, uh, a few days out of the week, they do solid fast. Like they don't do anything but water. And then the rest of the week they're, they're on a kind of regular diet. Some people just do no meat. Some people like to stick to the Daniel diet. Um, whatever you do, just, just, just realize one of the worst habits that we see with corporate fasts is that we sometimes undermine the way that someone else is fasting, right? Like, <laughs> so like during 21 days, you kind of, you don't want to go out to eat with anybody because like they order coffee and they're like, oh, you're doing coffee, <laughs> right? Come on. Yes or no? Yes or no? Come on. Let's be real. You know, that's got cheese in it, right? You're eating cheese, right? Better, better start over. <laughs> It's like, it's like during these 21 days of fasting, it's like we become like, like snobby vegans, right? Like not that vegans are snobby. If we have any vegans in here, but, but, um, you know, we become like these snobby judgy, you know, types of people are like during the 21 days of fast. And, and what's important here to remember is that this is about personal sacrifice. That's what it's about. It's not, it's not about your dietary restrictions for 21 days. This is about personal sacrifice. What's important is that you commit to the, to, to the commitment that you made to God and then use this time to dive deeper into scripture and into prayer. That's what's important, okay? So if, if you've never fasted before, start with something that you know you're gonna be able to see through, amen, because it's rewarding when you get to the end. And uh, at the end of the fast, here at Numa Church, we, we often, we, we turn in our first fruits, and uh, January is all about sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice, um, physically and, and, and financially. Uh, we believe that that sets a, a really good tone for the rest of the, uh, of the year, 
First Fruit Sunday, simply it's a challenge to bring a special offering, you know, something, something intentional, something that you've prayed about, something sacrificial. Amen. And we present it to God as the best of what we're able to bring. Amen. So January is all, all about sacrifice and, and, and just getting closer to God. Amen. We're going to preach this morning. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks. I'm excited. Um, I'm, I'm going to be preaching out of 1 Samuel 15. We're going to be uh, in verses 7 through 22. <clears throat> We're going to do a little bit of reading this morning. I hope that's okay. Joel, because Joel does our, my graphics for, for Sunday morning. He always asks for the scripture reference for the, for the podcast. And I gave it to him. I said, just, just do First uh, Samuel chapter 15. He was like, dang, the whole chapter? <laughs> He's like, you're getting out of control, man. <laughs> Um, this is a sermon that I preached, uh, about three years ago. Uh, I felt it necessary to revisit it. It's not the exact word, but, um, it's very similar. So it's from Samuel, first Samuel 15, Saul is the reigning King over Israel. And he's given a, a big mission from God. God tells him to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. They are a wicked people. They threaten the future of God's people and thus God's purpose. And so they are to be completely wiped out so that they don't, they don't threaten God's plan. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes God gives us a word and it, it doesn't come with all the details, right? Like he gives you a word, but he doesn't give you all the words. He doesn't, he just give you one word or it's one whisper or, or one sense of spirit, right? And, and so sometimes you have to really, really be in tune with, with the Holy Spirit, really attentive to, to what God is asking you to do because he doesn't give you all of the directions. But other times, God does give us a word, and it's, it's as clear as day. Amen? I don't know if you've experienced that before, but you know it. You have the conviction. There's no, there's no question about it. The Lord has spoken, and you know what it is. And so this was one of those words. He tells Saul, do not spare anyone or anything. It's very clear. And as we'll see, Saul doesn't quite do exactly what is asked of him. So... Let's read, beginning with verse 7. You can follow me um, up here. It says this, And Saul defeated the Amalekites, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and he's not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry. It's, it's good to be angry on behalf of God sometimes, church. Amen? When, when, when someone does something that dishonors God, it, sh- it should offend us. It should make us angry for God. And, and the word says that vengeance belongs to God, but it's, it's okay to be angry when someone mocks the Holy Spirit. It's okay to be angry when someone talks negatively about the God that you know is so powerful and all capable. It's okay to be offended. I'm getting to another per- sermon here. Hold on. Okay. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel, 
Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and he turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought from the Amalekites for the people Spared the best of the sheep and and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me. Verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I devoted to destruction the Amalekites, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Amen. Let's pray over this word. Heavenly Father, I thank you, my God, for the word that you have spoken, Father God, this morning, my God. And I pray, Lord, that, that, that it may be your Holy Spirit speaking to your people here this morning, Father God, that we may walk away with conviction, my God, and an application of this word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last time I preached this word, um, anybody remember the title of it? Come on, somebody does. I know you do, Will. Good intentions. Good intentions. Ah, stop pretending like it just came to mind. (laughs) Good intentions. (laughs) It was called good intentions, and we talked about how sometimes the things that we do with good, we we do things with good intent because we mean well, but the action of what we're doing is not very good at all, right? And and so uh, I thought to entitle this message, Knowing the Difference. So if you're a note taker, you can, you can write that at the top of your notes, knowing the difference. Last week um, was, a, was a pretty big week in the news, right? And as I was receiving the reports of, of what was going on in the Capitol building, so I get all my news pushed to my phone, probably a bad idea, probably need to stop doing that. But I, I, I was reading all of, the, all of the things that were happening in Washington, uh, Washington at the at the the Capitol building, and and for a moment, man, I was I was just sad. I was just like I was in utter disgust for a moment. I was I was sitting there in my office, and I remember I just I had to stop and I had to pray, and I didn't even know what to pray for. Have you ever prayed and you just don't know what to ask God for? And I'm like, God, just, just do something. I don't even know what to, just bring bring peace. Bring some semblance of, of unity. Bring some semblance of decency at the very least. I prayed for God to, to be revealed in the hearts of people because that's what we need right now more than anything else, man. We need to get to the will of God as a nation, don't we? We need to get to the will of God as a nation. God dealt with the nations and the nations that rebelled against him. He turned his back on. So we need to get to the will of God as a nation. And one way that we do that is with the body of Christ, the church. And so I was praying, Lord, 
just, just, just do, do something in the hearts of your people to, to bring revival unto this, this nation. Because everyone is so caught up with what they think is right, with what they believe is right. So I said, God, reveal yourself to your people. Because, because the more we know God and the more, the, the more we put aside of everything else, the, the more we put aside of what the world feeds us and the more we get to know God, we're going to begin to see his will clearly, right? Because we're, we're taking out all the junk from our eye. We're taking out the specks in our eye one by one so that we can see God clearly. And so this has not defined us as a nation for I, I, don't, I don't know if it ever has, where we have been, where we have been in the will of God Almighty. More so in the recent years. So at the very least, we need to pray that the church, that the church can see the, the heart of God and, and the will of God so that we can begin speaking and preaching. And so anyways, I was, I was upset all last week, to, to be honest, and I was even ashamed for, 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 a little, for a little bit. I didn't do anything wrong, but I just, I felt, I kind of felt sorry for us as a nation and, and, and the world just looking at us as, as what has been defined as the greatest nation in the world and look what's happening. And so I was frustrated. I don't know if anyone else was, but I was frustrated even more so because there was, there was a lot of people that were that were defending the actions of, of the people who stormed into the Capitol building, seeking to cause harm and, and violence. And, you know, no amount of arguments or logic or reason could have, could have gotten through to those people. And so I think what got me more upset than the actual action was the justification of it, thinking that it was right. It's one thing to do something and, and know that it's immoral. It's another thing to do something immoral and think that it's right. This, this, you know, because that suggests something deeper, right? That means that we're, we're confused about something. That we've lost a sense of purpose or, or God-given identity where we can't tell the difference anymore between what is right and what is wrong. And so this is why you have a group of, of atheists. They're called the neo-atheists. And this is a group of, of men and women who are, are scholars, they're experts in their field, they're scientists, and they're not satisfied with just their atheism. They're not satisfied with just their disbelief. This is why it's called neo-atheism, meaning new, a new form of atheism, where they're not just satisfied with their disbelief in God, they want to get the whole world to disbelieve. So they write books and, and, and they do these, these seminars and these talks where they're trying to, to convince you that there is no God and, and that we don't need a God. And where the Christian would look at them and say, well, that's the work of Satan. They are convinced that they are doing the right thing. This is why I love Psalms 139, where David says, search me, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the everlasting. Because a lot of times we can't see the evil that we have called good. We don't know the difference. And sadly, we don't just see these types of things in politics. We see it in Christianity. We see it in our faith. We fail to recognize the difference between what is actually righteous and what is done in the name of righteousness. 
we fail to know the difference. These men and women who, who seized the Capitol building, they thought that what they were doing was in the name of, of patriotism. They failed to, to see the difference between patriotism and extremism. Now, the church cannot fall into this category. We can't, we can't fail to know the difference. We cannot have men and women of God confusing the Holy Spirit with a personal emotion. We can't have that. We cannot confuse the word of the Lord with a voice that sounds good and that is pleasing to our itching ears. We need a church that can discern. Come on, man. Say amen louder than that one. Because look, discernment is like that lost gift of the spirit that we don't talk about. It's like, it's like the, the last one to get picked. You know, like when you're like playing basketball and you're kind of like the, the scrawny one. You're not that good. And you're the last person to get picked. That's discernment. Nobody wants discernment. No one asks for discernment. They say, Lord, give me the ability to teach. Give me the ability to preach. I want to be able to prophesy. I want to have the gift of, of speaking in tongues. But right now, in a, in a time where lies are being fed to us in every which way, we need a church that can discern and knows the difference. Because the devil comes disguised as an angel of light and he's preaching good things and he's making it sound good and he's wrapping it up in a beautifully uh, uh, packaged um, box. And, and sometimes we don't know the difference because we don't have the discernment of the Holy Spirit. We need to know the difference. <clears throat> so we just read this intense dialogue between Samuel and Saul, and if there's anything that this should remind us of is the seriousness of obedience. Samuel says that it's better. Someone say better. better. It's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. Now, those two are good things. It's not to say that sacrifice is a bad thing. We just talked about sacrifice a minute ago. That's, why we're, that's what we're doing with our fasts, what we do with our offerings. Paul tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The author of Hebrews says to continually offer sacrifices of praise to God. There was a whole sacrificial system that was, was made to make offer, uh, uh, offerings to God in Israel. Jesus was sent to be the ultimate sacrifice, but it's important to consider Proverbs 21.3. I have it up here. It says to do righteous and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So I don't know who needs to hear this today, but let me tell somebody, before you give God what you think he wants, give him what you know he wants. Give him what he's asked of you, right? Because you might be thinking you're giving God a sacrifice while totally disobeying what he's asked of you. You're missing the mark. And because you don't know the difference, you think that what you're doing is praiseworthy. So God, God might be requiring of some of you more of your time. Maybe God has been, been pressed. Maybe God has been waking you up in the middle of the night for a reason. Because maybe he says, well, you say you don't have time during the day. I'm going to wake you up in the middle of the night to make you have time. God is requiring more of your time, but instead of giving them more of your time because you say, I don't have time, you just increase your tithe. You're like, that'll offset it. I will be good. How, how, how's an extra hundred bucks a week sound, God, right? Like he needs it, right? The, the opposite might be true as well. Or God might be demanding right now in your life a moment where you, where you just need to trust him more. He might be demanding a moment of, of faith as you step into unknown waters, but trust 
it, it requires faith and that's scary. And sometimes we're like, you know what? I'll just make it up somewhere else. God might be saying to someone today, just give me what I asked of you. I don't need anything more than what I've asked of you because what I've asked of you is more than enough. Saul thought that he was giving God more while actually giving him less. So Saul, he takes his word, right? God spoke it very clearly to him. Go, this is your mission. Go utterly destroy the Amalekites. They threaten the future of my people and my, 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 my plan. It, it's, it's perfect. And it, and it ends with, with Jesus. And, and so if anything is going to come to threaten that we can't have it in the picture. So you have to, this is what you have to do. Destroy, and, and it was a harsh word. And sometimes we're like, man, that's, that's really, it's kind of mean of God. I mean, destroy everyone, but, but you got to remember the promise that has to be preserved. And so God tells Saul, go and destroy the Amalekites. Very clear word. But he doesn't do it completely. The Bible says that he devotes the Amalekites to destruction, but only after taking the best of the best back. Right? Everything that was worthless, yeah, you, can, you can consume that. Right? But anything worth something, let's, let's take it with us. Let's take it home. All right? So Saul and his army, they, they do the job that God asked them to do, but, but they do it halfway. We shouldn't be doing jobs halfway for God, right? And sometimes we do for, for different reasons, sometimes because of laziness, right? We, we don't always finish the work that God has begun in us because let's face it, man, sometimes it gets hard and, and, and we just kind of get tired and we just get lazy and we're like, you know what? I'm done with this. Never seen it through. Other times it just gets too difficult and we're pressing on, we're pressing on, we're pressing on, but then there gets to a, 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 a point where it's like, man, there's a red sea in front of me. What do I do? I'm just going to go back to Egypt. So they do the job halfway, but it wasn't for any of these reasons. They didn't get lazy. The work didn't become too hard. They did it because Saul thought he was doing something noble. He didn't know the difference. He thought it was, it was a good idea to take some of the goods to offer as a sacrifice. Now, if you notice from the text, as, as soon as Saul is accused of wrongdoing, what does he do? He immediately puts the blame on somebody else. All right. In verse 20, it was, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have brought back Agag. I have devoted to destruction uh, the Amalekites. And then verse 21 comes in and says, but the people took of the spoil. The people took of the sheep and the oxen and the best of the best. It's never our fault when we mess up, man. It's always the fault of someone else. Someone else provoked me, right? It wasn't, it wasn't my idea to eat from the forbidden tree. It was the woman that you put me here with. All right. Adam put the blame on God and on Eve, man. But at some point, we make the decision for ourselves, amen? You made the decision for yourself, Adam. You made the decision for yourself, Saul. Don't put the blame on other people for your own decisions. So at some point during the battle against the Amalekites, it was Saul, okay? And Samuel points this out. He says, you are the leader of the tribes. Saul must have thought that it was a good idea to bring back the best of Amalek to offer and to present it as a sacrifice to God. Whether it was his idea or someone else, that doesn't matter. He thought that it was right. He was unaware of the sin that he committed before God. Not was he just unaware, church. He thought that the, that the actions that he was committing were good. 
He thought it was, it was noble. It was a noble gesture. He thought it was praiseworthy. He built a monument for himself, celebrating himself, thinking that he did good. And I think that that's incredibly dangerous. Doing something that you think is good. Because look, I think on a, on a basic on a basic human level, and maybe I'm on, on the minority here, but on a basic human level, I think that, that people want to be decent people. People want to do the right thing, right? We're not good in the sense of the way that God de- uh, defines good, but people are, are generally decent to people. I like to give people the, the, the benefit of the doubt. Melissa says that I'm, I'm too trusting sometimes. Sometimes I am. Sometimes it's come back to bite me. But I, I don't know. I think if I were to get in an accident on a freeway, I think that there would be people that would stop by and, and try to help me out. I think that people in general want to do the right thing. What's dangerous is, is, is when you think that the act that you're doing is right when it isn't right. Right? Because, because if you think that it's good, you're just going to keep on doing it. You're going to do it again. You're going to want to celebrate it. You're going to want to post about it. You're going to want people to, to celebrate with you because you're thinking, you're thinking that what you're doing is right. And that was, that was Saul. That's what Saul was doing. Another similar occasion uh, in scripture. I got to stop for, real quick. Amen. Um, I was thinking about Peter in the New Testament, right? Jesus is, he's getting arrested. You know where I'm going? Jesus is about to get arrested. And Peter, you know, he's, he's like buddy, buddy with Jesus. And like, Jesus, I got you. Right. I'm not going to let anybody, you know, harm you like I, I, I got you. And then Jesus rebukes him for it. he says, hey, you know that I have to do this. Right. But I don't know. Peter's just he doesn't quite understand. And so now the moment of fulfillment is here. Jesus is about to get arrested. And, and Peter's like, now you got to go through me first. He whips out his sword and he strikes the, 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 the centurion's ear. The high priest's ear, Malchus. He strikes his ear. And. And, and Jesus turns to Peter and he asks him a, a rhetorical question. You know what it is? He says, it's in John 18, 10. He says, Peter, shall I not drink the cup that my father has before me? It's a rhetorical, kind of a sarcastic question. Are you saying that I, I should not be obedient? Are you saying that I should be a coward? Are you saying that I should run away? Are you saying that we should stop this from happening? Because that would be me defying my father's will. That would be me not being obedient. To Peter's defense, he thought he was doing right. He was defending his Lord. He was. I mean, I got some people in here and if someone come, attacks me, look, I see, I see Pastor Brandon, he's like, I already got you, bro. I already got you. Brother, yeah, brother. Yeah, man, he's like, hey, right here, right here. <laughs> That's what he, th- I mean, he thought he was doing right. He thought he was doing right. But in doing so, he was resisting the mission of, of the father. So, so we got to say it again. I, I want to drill it into you this morning. We need to know the difference between what is right and what is done in the name of righteousness. We have to have that spirit of discernment. Saul thought that, that he could rebel against God's word, but wrap it up and sacrifice and it'll all be good. By the way, Saul had no intention of actually offering a sacrifice, right? You know why? Because you can't sacrifice something that doesn't belong to you. (laughs) 
right? I mean, that's what he said. Oh, we're going to offer it as a sacrifice. It doesn't even belong to you. It doesn't even hurt you. That's like me going to Pastor Brandon's wallet, taking a, taking a few hundred bucks and then giving it to God on First Fruit Sunday and say, look, God, I did my part, you know, bless me the rest of the year. That's not a sacrifice, it's a theft. That's, that's what he was doing. But he was calling it a sacrifice. So the way I see it, Saul failed on, on two accounts, on the account of disobedience and on the account of deception. If you recall, King David, the, the, the king that God had in mind all along, but the Israelites d- demanded to have a king sooner than, than just waiting for the proper time. The man of God, the man after God's own heart, David, if you recall, he says something like, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. But again, Saul didn't know the difference between what he called a sacrifice and what was wrong. Hope I'm speaking to somebody this morning. I think that we are in a in a pivotal moment right now, church, as a, as a church, as, as a body of Christ, I'm not speaking of, of just Numa Church, as a church in this nation, this is a pivotal time for the body of Christ. There's this podcast that I, that I listened to, and um, it came up on my, on my feed this week. I haven't gotten around to listening to it uh, yet, but it, the, the title of the episode, it, it intrigued me. Because I saw it and I was like, man, I was just asking myself this question the other day. And, and the, the title of this episode was, is the church falling into political idolatry? I, I get that we're passionate. I'm passionate. There are conversations that, that I can't have with certain people because Simon Peter will come out, you know. I, I, I get that. That's Okay. And it's good, and we need to have our convictions. But, but you know, I was thinking, um, and my, my, my dad spoke about this last, last week. 500 years ago, the, the entire church, they equated the pope, bishops, they equated the church with the word of God. They, they, they were on the same level. The church had the same authority as the word of God. This was the pre-Reformation era, Right? The church believed, they, they believed that the church had the same authority as, as God's final word. And, and today, I see kind of a similar thing happening where it's almost as if so many people think that whoever's in office has as much authority as who's on the throne. You say amen or say ouch. <laughs> it's, like, it's like some people equate the two without realizing it. And, and, and they think that they're doing right. They think that their way of thinking is correct. I saw a flag. Man, I, I get worked up just thinking about it. I saw a flag. Maybe this doesn't offend you. And you, maybe, you're, maybe you'll be offended by my offense of it. But I saw a flag that said, Jesus is my savior. Trump is my president. Um, if you... If you own one of those, I mean, I can't tell you what to do, but I would, I, would, I would really encourage you to discard it because we should never place Jesus on the same pedestal as a man. I don't care who it is, man. Uh, a, flag, a flag is a symbol of honor. 
It's a symbol of honor. And if you're going to put Jesus' name on it, that better be the only thing that you put on it. Jesus stands alone. He doesn't share the stage with anybody. It's kind of like if, <laughs> if I tell my wife happy anniversary on Facebook, you know, those, those really mushy uh, anniversary posts, you post a picture of your wife and, and you're saying very positive and beautiful things. And you're like, I love you so much. God bless me with you. And you're the, you're the greatest mother, greatest wife I could have ever asked for. And then on that same post, I start recognizing another woman, whether she's my wife or not, you don't know, you don't do that. Because that, that would, putting two things on the same pedestal, it, it, it diminishes the other. Jesus, my God, is never to be diminished. He is the all-powerful God. Amen. We need a church that knows the difference between allegiance and idolatry. We need, we need to know the difference between the things that we think are right and the things that are not. We have, to, we have to stop assuming we know what is right and, and look to God and look at his word and pray and humble ourselves and get out of sometimes a way of thinking that might cloud the, the interpretation that we have of the word and say, God, search my heart, reveal to me my own wrong because I can't see it and I can't help the way that I think and I can't help the way that I believe on a cultural or a political level. So, so tell me if I'm, tell me what's wrong with me. Because I want to be a person that knows the word of God and that lives the word of God. If we don't know the word of God, we cannot live it. And if the word of God isn't being lived by the church, man, we are in serious danger. This is why I say we are in a pivotal moment in our church. This could be where we mess up gravely or it could be a moment where we magnify the name of Jesus. Not just through our Facebook posts. Every time something tragic happens, man, we, everybody goes to Facebook with their thoughts and their feelings. And I'm, I mean, that's good. That's good. And I do the same thing. But like lately, I've just been like, you know what? We need, we need action. We need action. We need the church to, to be what they speak on Facebook. We need to discern. Because if not, church, I believe something that happened to Saul could happen to us as, as a generation of this church. And I want to close with this. It's, it's verse 26. This is somewhat of a warning, I believe, to, to this generation of the church. It said, it says, and, and I don't have it up there, I'm sorry. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return to you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you on this day. And he has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. He's given it to the next one. If we cannot, as a generation... In this moment of the church, if we cannot discern the word of God and we cannot live the active word of God that is, that is sharper than any double-edged sword, if we fail to do it, it's going to go to the next generation and they're going to have to clean up our mess and they're going to have a, a much harder time on their hands because there's going to be a generation that fell away from God because it was our responsibility to live the word of God and to know the difference 
I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.